when I wears my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on judgment. I will take vengeance upon mine enemies and I will repay those who hate me. O Lord, raise me to thy right hand and count me among thy saints. By listening to the Alpha Male Buddhist from Brooklyn podcast. Expand your mind and keep it love. This is episode 173, and I'm your host, Miguel. In this episode, we're going to delve into a classic movie that was released back in 1973. However, it's a real allegory for what is taking place today, and that movie is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. But before I start, I want to thank all the listeners for the positive feedbacks, the messages, the DMs I get on Instagram, the emails I get. Again, my Instagram is Alpha Male Buddhist. Now, there's two. One is Alpha Male Buddhist and one is Alpha Male Buddhist Podcast. Alpha Male Buddhist Podcast is just a backup channel, but my real active uh, Instagram is Alpha Male Buddhist and my uh, my Gmail is Alpha Male Buddhist at gmail.com. Also, check out my IGTV. Got some great videos in there that uh, could conceivably save you 10 years 
of research, struggling, and doing, uh, you know, your own footwork into finding truth. And it's all there for you in a bunch of uh, really succinct videos that I have uploaded to my IGTV. So go check that out. Now, I've received some messages from listeners that are on uh, Apple iTunes, and they're telling me that they cannot find my podcast and that I'm not on there. And I looked at my analytics and I get about 5% of my listens off of Apple iTunes. So I found it weird. And I went in and I did my own search in Apple iTunes, searching on the web. And I put an Alpha Male Buddhist and it doesn't pop up. So I don't know if that means they're shadow banning me or what is happening. I know that's happening to a lot, a lot of people today. It's a big issue because they're trying to hold the truth down, which you can't. As they say, the truth is like a lion. It walks around freely and needs no one to protect it. And a lie, of course, we all know. So if you guys could be so kind as to do me a favor, especially you listeners that are listening to me on iTunes or have access to iTunes, if you can do a quick search for Alpha Male Buddhist Podcast, see if it pops up or what it says. In my searches, I had a few friends with iPhones and they couldn't find it, even though, like I said, I get about 5% of my listeners from there. So go go check that out and see what the case is. Um, again, I'm not sure. And uh, if you can get back to me and let, you know, let me know what the results are, especially if you couldn't find it or you could find it, whatever, just out of curiosity, if you could be so kind to do that. And for all the other listeners that are just on Android or, or however else you listen to it outside of iTunes, Apple, um, there is a way that you can, you know, I'd like, if I could, if you get fulfillment and if this show feeds you in any way, just leave me, you know, a nice five-star review and some comments. It would be greatly appreciated. And people people said that the only way you can leave reviews and comments are if you're on iTunes, but that is actually not true. You can actually go to podrover.com. That's P-O-D-R-O-V-E-R.com. And you can leave a review there. You can, uh, whatever podcast app you're on, a lot of them right now, they have provision to leave like a five-star review or comments, even if it's a negative comment, whatever, but just leave something so I could see the activity on there. Uh, yeah, so podrover.com is one. Uh, podchaser, that's P-O-D-C-H-A-S-E-R.com. You can leave it there. Podcast Addict, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-A-D-D-I-C-T, Podcast Addict. And again, some of these, I think you have to use the app. And uh, yeah, just leave, you know, if you can, kindly leave me a five-star review and, you know, comments, whatever, that would really be greatly appreciated and support the show. Again, I don't have um, a Patreon. I don't, you know, sell merch. You know, I was sending off uh, hoodies and t-shirts before for free. I don't, you know, I was asking just for a good review. So I'm not out here to make money. I just want good karma and I want to get my message out there. Again, because I get such encouraging and beautiful feedback from, from everyone listening that it just warms my heart. And that's, you know, that's really what I'm out here to do. Not not make money or monetize or do any of them things. I have received offers from, you know, some podcast uh, carriers, um, you know, that they would host my show for free and all this stuff like that. And, you know, share profit, whatever it is. But I, I'm not into that. The podcast actually is doing good. My, my listens are going up and... My feedback is getting great, so I, I do appreciate all of that. So, yeah, so that's that's really great, you know. That's what we're here for. So we're going to delve into this movie, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Does. Again, though, before I get into that, for those of you that, you know, know me, listen to my episodes, like, 
if you want the 100%, like in 20 minutes, my episode one, I kind of break down my origins and how it came about to be into podcasting and such. So, so I had a rough beginning and su- such like that. But to me, especially in my youth, you know, ages 10 through 16, m- movies really meant a lot to me and had a huge impact on my life. Movies, TV shows and such. And specifically the ones that I would say that had uh, the most impact influence on my formative uh uh, years coming up are two movies and a TV series. And the two movies are The Godfather Part 1 and 2, which came out in 1972. I was about 12. Actually, when Godfather Part 1 and 72 came out, I was literally 12 years old. And about two years later, Godfather Part 2 came out. But I was 12 years old. I saw this movie. And what I got from it, it was I learned the framework of what it meant to be a responsible, accountable man, to be a responsible provider. And I learned the degree of commitment different men needed to assume, different men had to follow in order to fill that role as provider. I also learned that if a man worked hard enough and smart enough, he could break the cycle of poverty in order to make a better life for himself and his family. In my episode 22, I did a breakdown of the archetypes of the Godfather, and it is my second most downloaded episode ever. And in episode 155, I did a breakdown of Godfather Part 2. That's the archetypes of Godfather Part 2 in episode 155. In 1971, a TV series came out by the name of Kung Fu, starring David Carradine. And uh, I was 11 years old, actually, at that time, and it portrayed a character of a blind Shaolin monk master by the name of Master Po. And to me, he was the personification of the Tao, truly living in accordance with Tao's principles. I might do a future episode on Master Po. And then again, in my episode 21, uh, which is actually my number one most popular episode, I did uh, actually my rendition of the Tao Te Ching. And uh, so, and then in my episode 32, I did a breakdown of the Book of Five Rings, which is my third most popular. So my most popular um, podcast episode ever was episode 21 of the Tao Te Ching. My second most popular podcast download is episode 22 of the Godfather Breakdown. And my third most popular podcast is episode 32, where I cover the Book of Five Rings. Miyamoto Musashi, the greatest samurai of all time. Just, for, just you know, just to put it out there because it's kind of popular and people ask me different questions about my episode. So when I look at my analytics, that that's my top three. Now we're going to jump into One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which was, and everything in this episode is fair use, Creative Commons license. Um, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest was released in 1975, starring Jack Nicholson. And there's a couple, I think Danny DeVito's in it. I kind of recognize Danny DeVito's face in the movie, I guess, when he first came up. I guess I put him on the map. So what we have in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is man's archetypical struggle between freedom and enslavement. It also depicts man's struggle in confronting his own demons in order to realize his true self and fulfill his dharma or true purpose in this life. Henry David Thoreau once said, Most men live lives of quiet desperation. And uh, my interpretation of that is they choose to play minor roles written for them by someone else rather than to live their own self-actual lives in the real life theater we call life. Reflect on that shit a minute. 
One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is actually an allegory for what is actually taking place in our world today. You need to have the ability to see beyond the very top layer of this reality and see down into the deeper layers like peeling an onion to get to the core of the onion. The battle we are fighting today is a battle for our collective freedom and we are fighting against this multinational corporation hedge fund media control matrix system which seeks to enslave us all. We are fighting against the mass meter which writes real life character scripts which we are trained to play from childhood and we are trained to follow and just be a good boy and drink the poison, I mean the Kool-Aid, and play with our toys, I mean our smartphones in the big boy sandbox. So in essence, here is the allegory of the movie One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest or the real deeper metaphoric meaning of the movie. Nurse, Nurse Ratchet represents the Matrix multinational corporation system. Uh, Randall Patrick McMurphy represents the everyday common man. The mental asylum represents that first top layer of this matrix system which we all live in and which they only want us to perceive that one top layer and not go down any deeper. Now again, Nurse Ratchet represents this multinational corporation matrix system that writes the scripts that we live or they want us to live our lives by. And they want us to believe that there is no outside world with love and unity and freedom because those are much deeper layers and that is something we must not have the ability to perceive. We only need to know that our own existence is this uh, top layer of enslavement, debt and suffering that they have for us and that they're the only ones that can provide freedom and comfort and food for us in little morsels of uh, pre-processed chicken McNuggets and the uh, soil and green type wafers you know for us to eat as we hate upon our brothers and sisters and just depend upon big daddy government to feed us and just give us protection because we're so afraid of these variants and everything that's taking place today you know quarantine you know like if you have the sniffles if you sneeze, you got to get quarantined for 90 days and then, you know, you have to upload that QR code on your phone so that you can be scanned in and put your third peg on the fourth notch so you can get a sandwich of artificial chicken. Now, McMurphy, on the other hand, represents the critically thinking man. And as a result of his research, his studies and his critical thinking, has been able to integrate with the Tao or his inner voice and has realized that there actually is an outside world that has people that live in love and freedom and unity. And this makes him a very, very dangerous man. And this matrix system must protect the others in the, in the asylum from, from McMurphy's dangerous ideas of this so-called outside love, unity, and freedom. It's kind of like the, uh, Plato's allegory of the cave. You know, these people, they're living in a cave and their only perception of reality is the reflections that the fire that they have in the cave cast upon the wall of the cave. So as people walk past the fire, it casts a shadow on the cave. And, and that's what their perception of all reality is. And they don't realize that there's an outside world. This is Plato's allegory of the cave. So one day, one of the people that live in that cave gets outside and sees that there's a sun and that there's a lake and, you know, freedom and wind and corn and just freedom of life, you know, mountains and streams, comes back and reports to the other people in the cave and says, hey, you know, there's a whole world outside that's beautiful. 
and they think he's crazy, and and they kill him. Also, kind of like that um, that uh, clip by uh, I'll play. Actually, I'll play it right now by Bill Hicks. The world is like a ride at an amusement park, and when you choose to go on it, you think it's real because that's how powerful our minds are. And the ride goes up and down and round and round. It has thrills and chills, and it's very brightly colored and it's very loud, and it's fun for a while. Some people have been on the ride for a long time, and they begin to question, is this real or is this just a ride? And other people have remembered, and they come back to us, and they say, hey, don't worry, don't be afraid, ever, because this is just a ride, and we kill those people. <laughs> Shut him up. We have a lot invested in this ride. Shut him up. Look at my furrows of worry. Look at my big bank account and my family. This has to be real. It's just a ride. But we always kill those good guys who try and tell us that. You ever notice that? And let the demons run amok? But it doesn't matter because it's just a ride. And we can change it anytime we want. It's only a choice. No effort, no work, no job, no savings of money. A choice right now between fear and love. The eyes of fear want you to put bigger locks on your door, buy guns, close yourself off. The eyes of love instead see all of us as one. Here's what we can do to change the world right now to a better ride. Take all that money we spend on weapons and defense each year and instead spend it feeding, clothing, and educating the poor of the world, which it would many times over, not one human being excluded, and we can explore space together, both inner and outer, forever in peace. Today, a young man realized that all matter is merely energy condensed to a slow vibration that we are all one consciousness experiencing itself subjectively. There is no such thing as death. Life is only a dream, and we are the imagination of ourselves. Here's Tom with the weather. <laughs> now, as we delve further into this uh, movie, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, uh, McMurphy, shortly upon arriving to this mental asylum, kind of runs upon this character. He's like six foot six tall, huge guy, uh, Native American Indian, and his name is, or his last name is Bromden. And McMurphy immediately calls him Chief because he's Native American and he's a big dude, so automatically he's Chief. Now, to me, Chief. Even though it's not an official called young archetype, I'm gonna like create one right now and I'm gonna say that Chief is the archetype of the Tao. And what I mean by that is he literally is the way, like he doesn't speak, he's deaf and dumb, he observes, he's there, he's huge, nobody messes with him, he has no need to roll over or do anything outside of what he wants to do, but he makes a choice to just sit there and observe, and he's 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 the Tao. And McMurphy immediately recognizes that and calls him Chief. Real metaphorical. So now once McMurphy and the Chief band together, it gets to a point where they have the ability really to illuminate the whole uh, asylum. And just by the fact that, um, you know, it's funny, like they go out to play basketball and Chief is kind of scared to shoot the ball, and he doesn't realize his own height and his own strength. 
which I feel it's by his own choice. He's playing, like my mother would say, he plays stupid so they can carry him. And he knows all along who he is and what he's capable of doing. But he chooses to lay back in the cut and just play the role of the Tao. And you really got to watch the movie to get it. But once they link up together, it's amazing how the transformation of that whole asylum turns out. And just as a, what do they call it, a spoiler alert. Um, at one point of the movie... McMurphy tries to lift one of these uh, water fountains that's like in ceramic tile and everything like that. And it's kind of crazy scene. He tries to, it's all cemented into the floor. He tries to lift it up to break the window to escape and get out of this uh, asylum to get into the real world of love and unity. And he can't do it. And at the end of the movie, there's a lot of things that transpire. But at the very, very end of the movie, the chief goes up to that same fountain and rips it out of the ground, and you can see water squirting all over the place, spraying, and it's crazy. And it just rips it right out of the concrete, throws it through the window, and just walks outside into freedom, love, and unity, and you know, the real, the real world. You know, so it's a real, real metaphor. It's, it's craziness, man. You really, I'm gonna put a link in the description. You have to go to my um, website, alphamalebuddhist.podbean.com. That's alphamalebuddhist.podbean.com. And I'm going to have a link in that description for the whole movie. As a matter of fact, that link is going to take you, I think it's called 123 Movies. You can see The Sopranos and Narcos and any series, pretty much any movie that you want to see. Now, you have to be careful with viruses and such. I don't. I can't vouch for any of that. I use Lennox. But uh, when, when you get in there, it's going to take you right into this movie. The only tricky part is sometimes when you hit play, it's going to take you to an advertisement or something. You internet people know. You might have to close it and go back and hit the play button because it kind of redirects you off to like a different advertisement or something. So close that little screen, exit out, go back to one through three movies where you'll see the the TV screen with the movie in it and hit play. It kind of it kind of lags sometimes and it uh you have to um refresh it. But it's free, and you can like literally watch anything you want on there. I, again, this is fair use, Creative Commons license. I don't endorse or have anything to do with one to three movies, but it's it's kind of awesome, and it's free. So, in closing, I'm gonna play right after this. I'm gonna play a clip I got off of YouTube of uh, a YouTuber giving his breakdown of the movie, and it's really interesting the way he analyzes it and gives his interpretation i mean this movie can be viewed like 360 degrees uh angles in different ways it's just it's craziness such a great movie and such a metaphor such an allegory for what we're going through literally right now and what i mean by that is they if you question anything they want you to feel that you know that everybody around you is saying, what are you crazy why why are you questioning this asylum? I mean, why are you questioning this this reality, this top layer of reality that we live in? Because everything is great. You know, you have a smartphone and, and you have internet access and you have YouTube and, you know, everything is great. But not realizing that if you peel down a few layers, you're going to see that it's enslavement, it's FEMA camps. And it's death and destruction of what's going on right now. I mean, this whole thing with Afghanistan... They want us to think, you know, they want us to be in a state of fear because, you know, the Taliban are going to take... I mean, these are guys on camels and, you know, they got rocket launchers. And I have nothing against them. We have no business being on their ground in the first place. 
we've been there for 20 years and we've spent, I believe it's $3 trillion over there, you know, to support poppy fields, I guess, or opium distribution, who knows? I don't want to get too political because I'm shadow banned enough as it is. Um, but people, you got to wake up, man, and smell the FEMA camps because this is what's coming down the road. They're doing, they're trying to do this whole mandatory vaccines, which is uh, mRNA altering, you know, or I should say RNA, recombinant nucleic acid altering. And, uh, it, you know, this is some craziness, man. If you guys are still asleep, I don't know what to tell you, but think about your children and thinking about the youth that are coming up right now, what they're going to be subjected to. Um, I can go on a lot of different levels. I can go into the financial, into the Fed, and the monetary system, and just all kind of directions. I, I'm, I'm like that. But I try to limit it so that I kind of hit my target audience with the information. Sometimes when you when you stray too far and everything like that, you kind of miss the target. And, and really, my goal is to bring people up to speed as far as this focused uh, attention that I have as far as what's literally transpiring within this like 20 degree target area in our reality of what's going on. If I stray too wide and everything like that, then I get labeled a conspiracy theorist or this guy's crazy. And I'm not, man, because it's all taking place. Go back. I know a couple of episodes back, I played a couple of clips from, from a, a guy named Bill Cooper. And there's a website for him. It's uh, Bill Cooper. The Hour of the Time, Bill Cooper MP3s, I think it is. And you can get all of, it, all of his MP3s. He, like, predicted pretty much all of this stuff back in the early 90s of what's happening right now. A lot of people have. Um, you got some guys like Jordan Maxwell and a couple of people, but they, you know, there's little fugazi elements about him where he just tried to do, does some crazy etymology. I love Jordan Maxwell, don't get me wrong, but he gets into some like crazy etymology and he gets a little too too uh, off the target, as it were. But Bill Cooper's right on the money. He actually predicted 9-11 like a few months before um, it happened. And he said, uh, you know, there's this guy Osama bin Laden and there's going to be a big terrorist incident and, and he was not in the news and they're going to say you know they're going to put it on him and they're going to kill him and, and that's exactly what happened and then a few months after that Bill Cooper was killed after predicting this so I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole because I'm shadow banned as, enough as it is so you people you know out there give me some good reviews give me a five star if, you, if this content is feeding you I love you guys man I love the feedback that I get from you check out my Instagram my IGTV Check out my, my website, which is alphamalebuddhist.podbean.com. Um, yeah, I'm going to continue. Like I said, I, normally I used to put out an episode once a week, but I noticed that my listens and the number of downloads that I get, whether I do it once a week or whether I do it every f month, every four weeks, it's pretty much the same. They have me kind of capped off at a certain level. And other people that have, I don't want to criticize, but that got some Fugazi S podcasts, you know, with a similar title, Alpha Male, Alpha something. They get all types of listens. But that's cool because you know what? Uh, when I put my head on the pillow, I know uh, what, what I'm putting out there and the karma that I'm incurring as a result of me putting this knowledge out there. I'm not perfect. I don't know everything. You know, I'm just a, a, a soldier of God out here trying to put uh, the truth out there. So that people can wake up to the reality of what's transpiring right now in this world. And I'm telling you right now that this movie, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Desk, is exactly what's taking place right now. And if you question anything, you know, just McMurphy, the way he was, they're going to label you as a kook and crazy. And they're going to lobotomize you. And, and, and then Indians going to, uh, ch the chief is going to snuff your ass out. 
you know, a spoiler alert. Uh, love you guys, man. Uh, please keep listening. Keep keep the positive feedback coming. Give me that five-star review out there. Give me some good reviews. And, uh, yeah, again, what I'm going to do from here is I'm going to put, I'm going to play a little breakdown from YouTube of the movie and uh, play, I'll probably play a couple of songs. And uh, I really do want to thank you for listening and namaste. When you boil One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest down to its most basic roots, you take away all the social commentary, the reflection of a changing world, and just focus on the central idea, you find the most basic story of all, a tale of two conflicting ideologies fighting over power. The film uses this very basic concept to dive into much more complex issues, but in order to fully explore those issues, we need to begin by looking at how the film creates this conflict. It begins with McMurphy entering the hospital. Well, actually, I lied. It begins with this shot, a beautiful landscape. It's natural, it's peaceful, it's just a piece of life. In the background, a tribal drum beats. And this is where McMurphy is introduced. This is where he's from. He is a wild man, a free spirit, someone who is not meant to be civilized, and he is being taken to a place where that will immediately happen. When we cut to the hospital itself, pay attention to the audio. The tribal drum is instead replaced with a ticking clock. Everything here is on a schedule. Everything is controlled and everything is ruled. When McMurphy enters the prison, it is immediately clear that he doesn't belong. Pay attention to how he wears dark colors, the same as the officers who are about to leave, while everybody else, the guards, the patients, and Nurse Ratchet, all wear white. He belongs on the outside, not on the inside. And when he's first taken into the hospital, he immediately begins to disrupt the everyday patterns. Ever seen this one? He interacts with the other patients and brings something new into their lives. Come on, Martini. Martini. Their mundane rituals are instead replaced by something that's different. It's chaotic. This is the introduction of one of the first major ethical questions that the film raises. Is this the stability that these patients need, or do they need to experience something chaotic and random, much like life? Obviously, a lot more research has been conducted in the past 57 years since Ken Kesey's novel was published, but from the very beginning and throughout the entire film, the question always lingers. Is McMurphy's chaos good for the patients? That conflict is introduced very quickly when we meet Nurse Ratchet, the engine that makes the machine that is the hospital work. She is the exact opposite of McMurphy. She thrives in an environment of complete control, control which she must have. Everything must be done on time and in the way in which she would like. I think that it would be safe to say that she does have a care for these patients. She wants them to be better and to become healthy, and the only way in which she thinks that is a possibility is through the order that she values so much. During the group discussion, it is clear that she knows these men very well. She knows what to say to make them happy and knows what they value. Have you ever speculated, Mr. Harding, that perhaps you are impatient with your wife because she doesn't meet your mental requirements. Of course, on the flip side, she also knows what upsets them and what to say to get them in a state of unrest. The conflict takes time to build up. Early in the film, Nurse Ratchet chooses to simply ignore McMurphy's antics. It's only when he begins to interfere with the daily routines in the rurals does she begin to stand up to McMurphy. You probably don't realize is that we have a lot of old men on this ward 
who couldn't hear the music if we turned it lower. And this causes a chain reaction. McMurphy chooses to be in the hospital because he would prefer to be there than in prison. And while he is in the hospital, he wants to do what he wants to do. There is no real need for him to be there. After all, he's faking insanity, right? So when Nurse Ratchet begins to take privileges away from him. Murphy, what you're asking is that we change a very carefully worked out schedule. In return, McMurphy goes on the offense. He wants to be in charge, or at the very least have control over himself. So, one week, I bet in one week I can put a bug so far up her ass she don't know whether to shit or wind her wristwatch. What do you say to that? This conflict begins when he tries to control other patients. This, however, is of course Nurse Ratchet's specialty, and she uses this to get under his skin. The promise that he made was reflected back onto him. Even though Nurse Ratchet upsets him more than he upsets her, McMurphy does gain something valuable here he becomes an authority figure to the other patients. Look at how director Milos Forman shows off these two contrasting ideas. During the first vote, So, all those in favor, raise your hands. The camera is almost always steady. It frequently cuts back to Nurse Ratchet. And the next vote, however, Everyone in favor of changing the schedule, please raise your hand. The camera moves around. It doesn't focus on Nurse Ratchet so much as it does the other patients. It shows that McMurphy is literally breathing life into the ward. He is seen as her equal, and although she obviously has power over him, that doesn't matter to the other patients, and that is what gives him power for himself. This back and forth conflict continues. McMurphy does something, Nurse Ratchet responds, often by taking privileges away from him. To McMurphy, he is living the life that he wants to live. He is having fun, and part of this fun comes from engaging Ratchet in conflict. And as this continues, he notices a real change in the patients. They begin to change, they're different, they become aware of their situation, and become aware that they are much less like patients and much more like prisoners. While he notices this change in them, he also begins to change himself. He becomes much more compassionate and much more caring. McMurphy begins to redeem himself by showing that he truly cares for the other patients in the hospital. They start to fight against the rules that are pushed upon them, and they begin to live the lives that they want to live. He never intended to, but McMurphy, in essence, gives the other prisoners self-conscious and free will. They're no longer blindly following the orders that Nurse Ratchet gives them. Instead, they make decisions for themselves. However, knowing that you're a prisoner and being set free are two very different things, and once McMurphy realizes what he did, he makes it his mission to set the other prisoners free. Of course, standing in his way of this is Nurse Ratchet, someone who holds the prisoners down, but does it because she thinks that it is for their best. This is the peak of the ideological clash, because both characters think what they're doing is for the best for everyone in the ward. A big moral question that the film asks, is Nurse Ratchet a villain? She's clearly the antagonist of the story, that is, she stands in the way of McMurphy, our protagonist's goals, but to put it frankly, is she a bad person? And for the mass majority of the film, that question doesn't have an easy answer. She hides behind her position. She has the excuse of saying that she is simply doing her job. She certainly is unlikable, but we never really know what to think of her. It isn't until the very end. Two events show us who she really is. First, her beratement of Billy, which leads to his suicide. You know, Billy, what worries me is how your mother is going to take this. 
and next the pleasure that she gets from watching McMurphy suffer. And seeing her enjoy his suffering is what makes his lobotomy worth it in a way. On a physical level, he loses, but he proves Ratchet to be wrong. He shows the other prisoners what it means to be free and showed Chief how to become physically free. In the end, McMurphy sacrifices himself and becomes the ward's accidental savior. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoy. This is a movie that means a lot to me. It has such an important message from which I think that we can all learn, and I hope I was able to shed some light on that message in this video. Please let me know what you think of the movie. There are a lot of different aspects to it, and a lot of different opinions, and a lot of questions that don't have an easy answer. And I'd love to hear your opinion, so please drop a comment and let me know. Welcome to the Alpha Male Buddhist from Brooklyn podcast. I'm your host, Miguel. I like to cover topics from ancient history, great leaders and generals from the past, and I also like to talk about self-realization, truth, critical thinking, and strategic spirituality. Outside the box, nonconformist. I'm here to shatter the myths of the mainstream media and the beta sheeple narrative. My email address is alphamalebuddhist at gmail.com. My website is alphamalebuddhist.podbean.com. My Instagram is alphamalebuddhist. And check out my YouTube channel, Alpha Male Buddhist, and that's on YouTube. It is the podcast accompanied with video clips that integrate exactly with the podcast so it's motivational and inspirational i also have promotional t-shirts if you go to my website alphamalebuddhist.podbean.com you can see the promotional t-shirts there reach out to me also if you have any show notes or any suggestions that you would like to hear on the podcast just reach out and see if i can get that done i've been getting some really Great emails and feedback from my listeners, which is great. So I want to thank you for listening and namaste.